Hello and welcome to Witchy Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Lauren Cholantani, women's holistic health coach and fellow recovering perfectionist. This podcast was created to show you that your body is not in the way, it is actually leading your way. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. You are listening to episode 170, Nutrition for Great Sex with Christine Delosier. I am very particular about the type of CBD and hemp products that I use. There's so much hype and lack of testing and quality in the industry. So the company that I love and use is Evo Hemp. Not only do they have a beautiful product like hemp seeds, CBD oil, gummies, even hemp chocolate, protein bars, protein powder. They also support a 40-acre co-op farm in Minnesota, which is farmer-owned, focusing on bringing quality and innovation back to Black, Indigenous, and other socially disadvantaged farmers. So if you are looking into trying any type of CBD or hemp products, head over to evohemp.com. The link is in the show notes and make sure you use code witchy, W-I-C-T-H-Y for 20% off of your purchase. And please enjoy episode 170, Nutrition for Great Sex with Christine Delosier. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Witchy Wellness Radio. Again, I am your host, Lauren, and this is to show you learn how your body is not in the way but actually leading the way. And today we have a beautiful example of that, Christine Delosier. She is here to talk about nutrition for great sex. I'm sure everybody is going to pique your interest. She is a licensed acupuncturist specializing in sexual health. And in her book, Diet for Great Sex, Food for Male and Female Sexual Health, has been featured in the Daily Mail, CBS, UK's The Sun, Mel Magazine, The Toronto Sun, and she has been offered expert commentary for the Huffington Post, Marie Claire, and Good Housekeeping. Always rather obsessed with diet, nutrition, and natural health, Christine's philosophy is rooted in evidence-based understanding of the psychological effect of food on the body. While honoring the wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine, she treats every patient holistically as an individual and wishes to use her unique skill set to help others in a kind and loving way. Oh my goodness. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you. Sorry, that was a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> that's a mouthful. I'm going to have to tell my publicist to trim that down a little bit because it, it, it's it's so much there. Um, but um, actually, my approach is a physiological oh, uh, approach. Um, no, because I know, you know, <laughs> psychological and physiological look strikingly different, different, uh, excuse me, similar on the page. So, <laughs> you know, and I just keep going and I and I didn't even realize it. So thank you. That, that, yeah, you know, yeah, sure. It does happen. And yeah. Um, well, it is it, it, physiological, but it is a psychological thing. You don't realize how much oh, yeah. food does impact you psychologically. It does. It does. It, it impacts you emotionally, um, you know, our mental health, our yeah. sexual health, uh, everything. So maybe I just had a little Freudian slip there. So I apologize, but thank you for pointing no, that, that out. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would love to hear how you got into... Um, did you start out with acupuncture and how did you transition to this more diet um, approach with treating 
not, I want to say treating, but promoting optimal sexual health in people. How did you, how did you get here? We love to hear the hero's journey <laughs> on the show. <laughs> well, um, it started, I guess. Okay. It started in childhood, you know, with my obsession with food, you know, total foodie. I've always just loved food. You know, I love the aesthetic of food. I I'm one of those annoying people that takes pics of her food at different angles because I think, Oh, this is beautiful. You know, um, I could, you know, I, I pay attention to how pretty it looks, you know, not only how, how it tastes, but I've always had the idea that nature was the kind of seat of good health, you know, and that by, uh, by tackling our, our health through nature, we, we would have the, that's the foundation um, for every, everything else, you know? So, um, so that's where it all began. Uh, when I was an undergraduate, I was taking a lot of science courses. I was studying biology and psychology, and, um, I trained to be a research scientist. So that also kind of laid the groundwork. Um, then when I became an acupuncturist and went into private practice, I did not set out to specialize in sexual health. Um, just one patient came in one day and he said, um, you know, is there anything you could do to help me have stronger erections? And I said, well, sure, let's give it a go. You know, let's give it a go because, um, you know, I tried, treated a lot of back pain, headaches, neck pain, that sort of thing, but I hadn't treated a lot of sexual health and he had amazing results. And then I had several patients back to back that just kept coming in and having really good results. And I thought, thought, you know, this is something that's really hard to treat um, in modern medicine. It's very difficult to treat. So um, it, it, and it, this was something that brought him and his wife so much joy and, you know, brought them closer and improved their intimacy. And I thought this is something that's really meaningful. It's a meaningful thing to specialize. So I decided to specialize in sexual health. And, um, you know, that's where I got there, but my love of food is always nagging at me. And so I always ask my patients, you know, what do you, what do you eat? And we try to come up with some dietary strategies to improve their treatment goals and being having this kind of science background and this research background, I wanted to see what the evidence was to support that, you know? So, you know, we all, we all think of great sex uh, you know, as the right mood, the right person, the right situation. Um, we, we think about all of those um, psychological processes and physiologically great sex is when our nerves fire strong, rapid impulses to and from our genitals. It's when we have abundant blood flow and it's when our sex hormones are balanced. So the, what, what the literature says, what the medical research says is that food very much affects all three of those. It, it affects how quickly and strongly those nerves fire those signals of pleasure and it affects blood flow. It affects our blood vessels. It affects um, hormonal balance. So basically that's what the whole book is about. I mean, at least the first half of it is all the sciencey stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I tried to write it in a really fun way. That's kind of uh, digestible by the average person. I didn't want it to be a textbook. It, it's supposed to be fun to read. So, so that's, that's that. And, um, you know, so I, I wanted to put all of this stuff that I was talking with patients um, about on paper and and have one thing because I was doing enough lecturing with my patients. You know, it's like I, I can't cram any more into this hour long session. You know, you're going to have to read something. <laughs> so so that was it. 
Oh, beautiful. I, I love to hear how people's stories come together and it, it found you really. I mean, you didn't have to go searching for it. Um, I love to dive deeper into kind of the acupuncture Chinese medicine approach. We, we touched on it, you know, strong nerves that fire and wire efficiently, strongly. Um, but from a Chinese medicine perspective, can we kind of dive into that? Is it, is it, uh, I know there are different types of energies. Is it a stagnation thing? Is it a, an overproduction of one energy? Um, please, please enlighten us. Sure. So I broke the chapters down and into, um, you know, the, the three main categories where we talked about this trifecta of great sex, you know, nerves, hormones, and, um, let's say nerves, hormones, and blood flow. And so there are kind of Chinese medicine equivalents, you know, in the chapter on hormones, um, it's, you know, we can see it as a balance of the yin and the yang, you know, so um, they're the complex, you know, interplay between thousands of hormones and, and chemicals in our body is the balance of yin and yang. It's this constant fluctuation and yin, you know, turns into yang, you know, the the hot male uh, energy of, of yang uh, becomes and nourishes the cool feminine energy of yin. And so the yin substances are like the blood and the fluids of the body. And the yang is like the, um, you know, the muscle contraction and the function of the body. The great sex is when yin and yang are balanced and, and that kind of represents our hormonal balance. Um, the chi is is kind of uh, embodied in nerve impulse. So the free flow of chi is what we want. Um, you know, every time, you know, we think of chi as being this um, abstract concept, but in practitioners of Chinese medicine, we consider it to be a, a very real concrete substance uh, that moves through the body. And you can kind of see that every time you see a nerve fire, you know, that is the movement of chi. Every time the, the heart contracts, that is the movement of chi. Uh, when peristalsis occurs, when food moves from the mouth to the anus, that coordinated sequence of chi movement moves that food along. And so, you know, every, when, you're, when your lungs expand to draw air into the body, that's the movement of chi. And chi can become blocked. You know, we can have a physical blockage of chi in, um, you know, it, not just with injury, you know, yes, we can have a physical injury block the chi, but we can have um, substances block the chi, you know, plaque accumulation blocks the chi in blood. Um, you know, so we think of the chi as like the nerve contract, nerve impulses, and we think of the, you know, the blood is the blood, you know, that's, that's, that translates, you know, just fine. Um, and when we have plaque accumulations, the vessels stiffen, and we have a restricted um, flow of chi and blood. So, uh, when she flows abundantly and freely and blood flows abundantly and freely, we have great sex. When it's blocked, we don't have as good of sex. Um, but then, of course, you can you can think of great sex also as um, how strong is the essence? You know, the essence of life is embodied in menses and sperm. And so when we have, when you have a strong, uh, healthy kidney, because with the kidneys in Chinese medicine are considered to be the root of the essence, um, then we have uh, great fertility, we have great sex, you know, if that makes sense. So the, the Chinese medical approach is to nourish the kidneys, 
to uh, promote the free flow um, and abundance of chi and blood and the balance of yin and yang. Amazing. Amazing. So how, how do you support a healthy kidney through, through your own diet? Like what are things to eat? What add more in? What are some things to avoid? How, how can someone start to uh, transition to this type of a diet or lifestyle? Well, you know, there, everything is, is interconnected. And when we tax other areas of the body, kind of taxes the kidneys, for example. So all of our stress really taxes the kidneys. Um, our high cortisol levels tax the kidneys. You know, our, um, you know, when we eat, when we, when we uh, restrict uh, blood flow and, and chi flow, it ends up taxing the kidneys. Um, I mean, there are certain foods that are thought to nourish the kidneys, but they also have to have the free flow um, of chi and and blood. Um, so, but it's it's an entire it's a whole picture. You know, our emotions affect the kidneys. You know, fear. You know, carrying fear or having uh, trauma affects the kidneys. Um, that's fear is like the emotion of the kidneys, if you will. So it's that's how it's considered in Chinese medicine. And so fear fear will most affect that organ system. So. Um, so we have to promote it. Yes. With the foods that we eat, you know, we want to, um, you know, nourish the kidneys. Um, but in general, you know, I feel like the most obvious thing in our modern day is all the ways that we're burning, you know, our bodies with, um, you know, the foods that we eat, all the processed foods that have all these chemicals in them, you know, we have the environmental exposures to toxins as well in our food and our air in our water and that sort of thing. And all of those text the kidneys. And we have, you know, we have science, the science to show how it um, affects hormonal balance, how it affects us neurologically, you know, all those things, you know, the endocrine system is as well as affected quite a bit by all these um, environmental exposures. And there's a lot of science to show it, which is, you know, which was so interesting as I was writing the book, um, you know, we think of things like EMFs, you know, electromagnetic fields and, um, you know, that sort of thing as a uh, conspiracy, you know, the idea that these affect us, our health, it's considered to be a conspiracy and, you know, it conjures up these images of people wearing, uh, you know, tinfoil hats and in the sixties and stuff. And so I didn't actually expect to find a lot of science to support it because I thought, oh, well, this isn't really widely accepted that this is, you know, this is real. Um, I found decades of literature, um, you know, loads and loads, study after study after study showing that, oh yeah, there's, you know, a very um, huge body of evidence that, that shows that our exposure to, you know, environmental toxins and yes, EMFs, cell phones, wireless, things like that do affect our endocrine system. Uh, they affect our nerves. They affect our, our um, cardiovascular health. So, um, sorry, back to your question. I, I kind of got a little off track, didn't I? With <laughs> you're good, you're good. With the kidneys, you kind of have to take it as a whole, is what I'm saying. I guess um, it, it's you got to look at the whole uh, the whole picture. Our diets very much um, they can either nourish the blood, um, they can nourish the chi, or they can kind of block the chi and blood, which will you know lead to other problems. Okay. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I'll link in the show notes. We actually had someone on talking about EMF exposure and his father, he, he started this company to kind of um, keep the legacy going. His father had decades of research 
on cell phone, EMF, I guess now Wi-Fi as well. But um, yeah, the science is out there. It is kind of crazy. We're just walking around with all these devices on us all the time. But I'll link down the show notes because that is literally a whole other topic <laughs> if you want to yeah. learn more. <laughs> I've got a, a chapter on it in the book, so you yeah. can oh, definitely good. learn more about it. Yeah. So as a holistic picture, obviously we want to avoid processed foods. Um, I'm assuming things like alcohol or even caffeine, sugar, those kind of things that are taxing on the body. What are some thing, top things that you should avoid? And holistically, what are some things to add in to your diet um, for eating for better sex? Sure. So as far as things to avoid, um, you know, in Chinese medicine, a good diet, a balanced diet is, is considered to be equally representative of the flat five flavors, you know, so sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and acrid. Um, we tend to favor the sweet flavor and we favor the salty flavor, you know, with our processed foods, you know, you throw in as much sugar and as much salt and as much fat as you can for it to taste good. It tastes all the better. And of course our, our brains adapt to that and they, um, you know, produce less dopamine with the same amount of fats. And we have to keep upping the ante to get that same satisfaction out of food. So, um, basically, um, you know, the favoring that sweet flavor, for example, uh, induces things like leptin resistance, which then leads to sex hormone, uh, you know, imbalance in sex hormones, um, favoring the salty flavor, you know, constricts blood vessels and it, it stiffens them. Uh, it also kind of sabotages our potassium, which promotes vascular health, for example. Um, what we lack, what we don't have enough of is the bitter flavor, which is our leafy greens, it's our salads. And, you know, if we look at other primates, you know, for guidance, because we we clearly don't know what the heck we're talking about. We go around asking each other what we should eat. You know, other animals just know what to eat. We We don't know that. We just what should we eat? What should we eat? We, we don't know, you know? Um, so, but if we look at other primates, they sit around eating lots and lots of leaves. You know, they sit around spending much of their day eating leaves and um, they're in doing so they get many times the amount of potassium, calcium, magnesium, and all of these minerals uh, as we do and which promotes vascular health. You know, leafy greens are probably, if I were to say uh, just an example of one good food, uh, for sexual health, it's probably my favorite food because it affects that entire trifecta of great sex. So leafy greens have been shown in research to reduce cortisol levels. Well, cortisol sabotages testosterone, and that's important for both male and female sexual health. It's not just important for, for uh, male libido, for example. Um, you know, females in some cases are prescribed testosterone to improve libido, for example. Um, leafy greens are one of the best things you can do to encourage blood flow because they have so many different phytonutrients that kind of attack that, um, that aspect of great sex in many different ways. So number one, they're high in dietary nitrates, you know, not the meat, you know, cold cut type nitrates, but the natural kind, um, that promote vascular health and they actually dilate blood vessels for in the short term, even for better blood flow. And they are high in potassium, which, you know, softens that delicate lining of blood vessels and, and makes them more elastic. So you get more blood flow. And <clears throat> also, uh, they're 
they have tons of antioxidants. So that speeds and strengthens those, those nerve signals. You know, one of the biggest complaints that I have, excuse me, among my female patients is difficulty achieving orgasm and um, low libido. So uh, when we get more antioxidants, there's actually a good amount of research that shows that antioxidant supplementation will actually strengthen and speed those um, those nerve signals, the signals of pleasure. So that helps then with achieving orgasm. So um, they did a couple of studies with diabetic patients because one of the biggest side effects of type two diabetes is um, reduced sexual pleasure. You know, for females, reduced um, ability to have orgasm, reduced overall sexual satisfaction, uh, reduced pleasure and arousal response to, you know, lubrication, that sort of thing. And um, following antioxidant supplementation, A, their nerves actually, they actually measured nerves and they fired stronger, more rapid impulses, and they had better sexual satisfaction, easier orgasm, all that. So, um, yeah, so, you know, leafy greens are a triple hitter. They're just, you know, we definitely want to be including those a lot in, in our, you know, regular diet. Amazing. Yeah. I love my leafy greens too. I, my challenge for myself is how can I add greens or leafy greens to just about every meal that I have? Cause I know I feel better. My mind feels clear. My whole body feels aligned and like awake. So, yeah, I, I spend, uh, <laughs> I spend a good portion of my time thinking of, you know, that, you know, not world hunger, but thinking how to incorporate more leafy greens yeah. you know, in my, <laughs> and now my I'm even more motivated too. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Well, I, you know, I throw a big, huge handful in my morning smoothie of uh, spinach. Yeah. I, sometimes I have an afternoon smoothie of, uh, you know, spinach to mango, and, um, you know, of course you can kind of incorporate them into sauteing to, uh, you know, if you saute your protein or whatever, and, and just throw a handful in, you hardly even notice some. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. That is a good place to start. So I wanted to transition a little bit from the, the diet approach to how can we be a kind lover like, what does our partner really want? I know you write about this in the book and it's probably different than what we think it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I've got a chapter on that because, you know, I thought, I feel like our society is kind of trending in the direction, you know, there's like a good side to our more um, individualistic approach, you know, and uh, we're kind of coming into our own in many ways. And, you know, we're saying, hey, I matter, you know, I matter as a human being, um, you know, and we're owning our assertiveness. We are owning our ability to speak our needs, you know, and that's that's really important. The kind of flip side of that is that we're also kind of moving into kind of a selfie culture, you know, where we're kind of self-obsessed. You know, we shoot pictures of ourselves at every angle, at every time. You know, we um, try to present this snapshot of our lives, you know, on social media that we we have a certain lifestyle. We have, you know, and we present a certain image because image seems to be ever increasing in importance in our lives. And so 
you know, what we think a partner wants may be quite different from what they want. You know, we may, we see all of these images on the screen of, you know, people with perfectly firm, you know, they, they have a D cup, but somehow they just float on air. You know, they don't, they don't droop at all. They have, you know, we have people who uh, they don't carry any weight in any part of their body, except their ass and tits, you know, excuse me. Is that okay to say that on your show? Okay. So, You're good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's like, it defies, you know, physiology. They, <laughs> you know, they have a and gravity. Yeah. (laughs) And gravity. Um, you know, we see, uh, you know, we we see there's this, uh, porn, you know, the porn industry with these massive penises that are, you know, many times the size of the average penis, you know, we have all these reasons to feel like we're not good enough. You know, we're, we're not rich enough. We're not um, good looking enough. We're not smart enough. We're not interesting enough. You know, maybe our lives are, we're not, we don't, um, you know, travel around the globe and, um, you know, just do these fun, interesting things all the time. And we feel inadequate. And that's kind of, I I feel like most of us have dealt with some form of this. And, you know, so I, I see so many people who don't feel like they're good enough to date. They, they don't feel good enough to, um, have a partner be interested in them. And I think we all, this isn't just like they, I think it's us, you know, more, we feel this way. There's an element to all of us. And, and, you know, we have to kind of challenge that because most people really at the end of the day are just looking for somebody with whom they connect. You know, we're looking for a good connection. Um, Even though, you know, I have these um, patients, for example, they come in, well, you know, I'm thinking about getting a, penile implant. You know, I, I, I've measured my penis and it's only, you know, such and such length and, you know, I want to make it longer. And, and I'm inwardly thinking, okay, length has nothing to do with pleasure. You know, first of all, never, you know, so making it longer, you're going to reduce your sensitivity. First of all, you're going to, you're going to maybe have some scar tissue there. You're going to maybe have create all these other problems to have a longer penis, which most, I don't care about that. Most people don't. It's like, that doesn't mean extra pleasure. I mean, certainly girth makes um, for more pleasure, but length really doesn't. So um, you're kind of missing the mark to begin with, but even the overarching thing is that, you know, that's not really what's important. You know, when I talk to people about what makes for great sex, it's not a long penis. And, And, you know, I have, I even saw, I wrote in the book about this when I, I went into this airport and I saw this, these signs, um, these posters for gynecological cosmetic surgery. And, it, and then I went on the website because I was just curious. So I, I was kind of pissed off, quite honestly. I was like, Jesus Christ. Okay. So it's not enough to, you know, be pressured to have bigger booze and but and everything now it's like we have to have have pretty pussies i'm sorry is this too much i i hope that's that language is okay you're good um, you're good because i was okay. going to ask you about like the mommy tuck after before you said that so <laughs> okay. keep going <laughs> so i looked and i looked at these they had before and after pictures on the website um of these vulvas and you know some it looked like some of the um the people wanted to were concerned that the labia minora was 
larger and extended out of the labia majora. Um, th that was a, a big concern. You know, basically they wanted um, porn style um, genitalia. And I was like, people don't care about this. So I said, okay, I'm going to do a not very scientific study. And I'm going to ask all of my friends who are into pussy if this is if, th if this was an improvement, if this was more sexually attractive for them. So um, I presented it to two of my lesbian friends. I presented it to my boyfriend at the time, um, a patient of mine at the time, and uh, who I'd been seeing for years, you know, I'd been treating for years at the time, um, and a friend of mine. And I said, okay, are these, did, was it worth their money risk and all this investment, you know, are these, would people rather have sex with this vagina than, you know, the, how it was before. So all of the men <laughs> in the group um, said that they were turned on by the, by all of the, the genitals. Okay. The befores, the afters, you know, they were in hospital paper and fluorescent lighting and, you know, it didn't matter. It was, <laughs> It was still aroused, I'm like, oh, you know, that, <laughs> you know, and none of them said that the after picture looked any more attractive whatsoever. And I thought, you know, that, yeah, exactly what I had expected. They're all perfectly fine before they're perfectly fine after, but then you carry that extra risk. And, um, but it just gets to the heart of the issue, <laughs> the issue of, why don't we feel like we're good enough? Why don't we feel like just how, how we are, we're okay? You know, chances are your partner doesn't care, but this is the problem. Most of us experience that one person who made some comment about some aspect of our appearance, which may or may not have any basis in reality. And all of a sudden we felt insecure about it, carried it with us. You know, my daughter, she, you know, my daughter is, you know, average body size, she's 12. And she just, she's like, oh no, I don't want to wear a bathing suit, you know, because she said she was fat or something. And I'm like, oh yeah, how did you get this in your head? Who told you that you were fat? And I think, uh, I have to admit, I think it was her brothers who said, you know, like her 10 year old brother who just made some off the cuff comment, which he shouldn't have said, but that stuck with her and that's how it works, you know? So at the end of the day though, you know, you you may have a preference for um, tall guys or, you know, big boobs or, you know, we all have our preferences, but most of us are, will date well outside of our preferences. Um, it's again, more about the connection. Um, so instead of focusing all on so much on the image, we really need to focus on, yes, loving ourselves, um, embracing our self-worth and knowing that we are good enough because, um, you know, if we could see past somebody else's flaws, you know, imagine that they can also see past our flaws. And in so many cases, our flaws, actually what we think are our flaws, aren't even flaws. There's something that so some words that somebody said that planted a seed there that, you know, just became reality for us. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for all. And maybe add a lot of things I was thinking about during that. Um, if you guys want to learn more about this topic, a really good area to look into. It's easy because I'm sure everybody here has Netflix. Um, Goop did a series on sex. I think you just type Goop. Um, one of the episodes 
was on Betty Dotson and she just passed away last two years ago, I think, but she was all about owning your sex, sexual being and, and physical genitalia as a woman. And like, she would, she was like this badass lady since like the sixties teaching. And she would take these classes and have all these naked women together. And they would, you would be admiring your vulvas and, you know, you, you would, be able to accept yourself for who you really are. And she teaches to have a mirror in front of you to really look at yourself. And, and, and I think that's exactly what you're talking about here, especially as yeah. women we're taught, yes, you know, big boobs and butts. So that's, that's what we're sexualized, but I've had to work through a lot of this and still am about owning more of myself, my, my genitalia, my vulva that, there isn't one way that one's prettier than the other. It's uniquely you. That's exactly what all of the men said. They're like, you know, my boyfriend at the time, he's like, oh, you know, they're all attractive. He's like, it's so exciting to see what a woman's vulva is going to look like. You don't know what her nipples are going to look like. You don't know, you know, it's, it's exciting to, it's like a box of chocolates that you don't know yeah. what you're going to get. And it's like, it's a fun, exciting kind of thing, you know, um, you know, just like you said, but I remember being in middle school, <clears throat> either middle or high school, and hearing people talk about how women's crotches smelled like tuna. And it's like, it was a big joke, you know, and it's like, that's the kind of messaging that we've been getting since we were, you know, for decades, is that, you know, the dick is something to be proud of. And the woman's is something to be ashamed of, or that it's ugly or smelly, or, you know, all those things. And, um, you know, and of course, you know, in the bedroom, historically, it's, you know, men receive more than their share of oral sex compared with women, you know, typically, um, I know lots of relationships where it's not even reciprocated at all, you know, so uh, it's definitely something that we as women have to work on, and we have to work on, you know, changing, um, just, you know, the kindness, that's, it's just a matter of kindness in the bedroom, taking the time to um, be kind as lovers. Uh, that means taking the time to understand our partner's body and their, you know, the anatomy of it, um, their, what's pleasurable, finding out what they like. And not only that, but taking the time, the female body takes longer to pleasure typically on average, and it takes a little bit more work, a little bit more understanding and education. And, um, so being willing to put in the effort, um, that's being a kind lover, you know, and that's on both ends. That's why I have a chapter in the book on oral sex on how to do it both for, um, you know, male and female uh, genitalia, because I feel like knowing how to do that is an act of kindness. Um, you know, you want to call yourself a good lover. It's a good idea to, you know, really learn how to pleasure your partner, but it's not enough to learn it generally. You really have to just work with your partner and ask them specifically questions, always be wanting to learn more. Oh, does this feel good? Does that feel better? Uh, because each person is different. Each person likes a different amount of pressure and, and all those other things. Beautiful. And I know as a female, as you start to accept yourself and love yourself and, and deprogram that your vulva or your genitalia is dirty or stinky or ugly, whatever, you'll be willing to accept more pleasure and ask for it and be okay. If it takes a long time, like it'd be able to del delight in every part of the step. It's 
it's not about the big shebang. Yes, orgasm is beautiful and, and healing and all this kind of stuff. But for me, and I think a lot of women, it's just like being okay with feeling pleasure, being vulnerable in that situation and, and speaking up and saying, hey, what you were doing before was a lot, you know, can we go to that versus like, this doesn't feel as good and be able to right. own it. Because in those situations, you're so, you're literally naked, but right. <laughs> you're, you're vulnerable. And, and it's um, learning to speak your truth, own your power and, and pleasure is your birthright. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. And, and I, women have to really own that. We really do. We have to just open our eyes and, and see that. I mean, I feel like younger people are much more willing to do that. But, you know, I have friends who are like in relationships and marriages, um, you know, in their 40s and, and later who have kind of gotten into a cycle of not asking for pleasure. And, you know, they're expected to have an orgasm without really their partner putting much work into it. And it's, you know, becomes an issue of people's ego. And, you know, do I hurt, hurt my partner's feeling feelings? Um, you know, all those things come into play. But but yeah, so um, I feel like it's more important, especially for those who are in long-standing relationships where maybe they're not feeling satisfied sexually. You know, I talked to, to people who think that they don't enjoy sex or they don't, sex isn't that, you know, much fun for them. And then when you kind of open up the onion or, you know, peel back the onion, you see that they're in partnerships where their partner doesn't really care that much about their pleasure, at least has never invested in learning about it. So it's like, if you have sex every time without, um, you know, feeling pleasure or, you know, having a partner that's invested, of course, you're not going to like sex, you know? I mean, I have a friend who fakes an orgasm with her partner and then masturbates to achieve orgasm by herself, you know, because it's, you know, she doesn't want to hurt his feelings. So Anyways. Yeah, I know. I know. And, and a good place to start, I guess, is because I've noticed in general with my friends and, you know, what I've heard through women is that we don't know how to pleasure ourselves. So how are you going to ask and tell somebody else what to do if you don't know your own body? And that's, I think is a great place to start tiptoeing into that area, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Self-exploration. Yeah. Well, was there anything else you wanted to share today, Christine? I know we 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 went all sorts of different ways with this topic, <laughs> which I love. A lot of different positions, <laughs> if you will. Um, was there anything else you wanted to kind of tie up some loose ends on before I started to close the show out today? No, no, I think I don't think so. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and and sharing your experience, your wisdom with us all, and willing to speak your truth because I think this topic all parts of this as a holistic whole needs to be heard, especially that latter part is women. We pleasure is our birthright and it's scary. I think as a lot of us are, like you said, becoming more individualistic society. You can say no, if you don't want to have sex, but owning when you do um, a whole nother topic to dive into another time, but thank you so much for showing up for us today. And how may we as the listeners as an act of gratitude, um, be of service for you in return today, Christine. Oh, that's so kind of you to even suggest that. Well, um, I would say, um, maybe go home and be kind. 
to your partner. You know, just have some act of kindness to your partner. Um, you know, it, it it's it always grows exponentially. Any act of kindness grows exponentially because it spreads more kindness and, and it promotes, you know, other acts of kindness by others. Um, and then um, if anybody wants to buy my book, um, it's available on Amazon. It's Diet for Great Sex. You can see me on um, my website, dietforgreatsex.com. And I'm on social media at Diet for Great Sex on Instagram and uh, TikTok, where I have some recipe videos and that sort of thing. Very fun. Thank you so much, Christine, for coming on. I know I learned a lot. I can't wait to sink my teeth into more and some recipes. I'm always down for some good recipes. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This has been fun. And remember, open up, surrender, trust, and let your body lead the way.